0: Quick, what are you doing to disciple your kids? Catechids can help. Catechids is a little book with 100 simple questions and answers to help parents teach their young children the essential doctrines of the Christian faith, to lead them to faith in Jesus, and equip them to walk in the Spirit every day and love God. I wrote Catechids for my own kids, and they love it. It's become a tool that's been blessing Christian families and churches far and wide. Get Catechids on Amazon today or by going to thethink.institute. Welcome to the Think Podcast, the show that tackles impossible questions from a biblical perspective, with your host, Joel Sedeckes. And now get ready to think. Welcome to the Think Podcast with Joel Sedeckes. My name is Joel Sedeckes, and this is the show that tackles impossible questions from a biblical perspective to help you explain, share, and defend the Christian message. Okay. Real quick. I'm just going to post on Twitter that I'm going live I Said that I was going to do it, but I didn't say that I was going live. So I'm going to post that. If you're joining us from Twitter, welcome. And, um, here we go. So for watching, thank you for listening. If you're catching us later on the, um, podcast audio podcast, thank you so much for listening. And if you haven't done so yet, can I ask you a favor? Would you please give us an honest five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts? Because that helps get the word out about the Think Podcast, the Think Institute Network, the Think Institute, all the really great, wonderful, fun stuff that we're doing to equip you to explain, share, and defend the Christian message. All right, so Thank you guys for watching. We're we're already getting a nice audience here. Let me just also um, let you know, if you're watching on Facebook, the best and easiest way for you to watch and leave comments, which we are going to be doing a Q&A at the end, if you're interested, is to head on over to, let's see if I can pull it up. You want to go to streamyard.com slash Facebook. There's going to be some permissions that they want you to enter in so that your name can be recorded and broadcast. They just don't want to broadcast your name on um, on the broadcast on StreamYard because, you know, there's concerns about doxing people and things like that. So put in your permissions, then you can watch on Facebook and comment to your heart's content. Noah Despain is watching. What's up, brother Noah? Always glad to have you with us. Listen, I've got to come up with a name for like... It's like like all of us who are partnering together to get equipped to explain, share, and defend the Christian message. I've narrowed it down to two. Tell me what you think. Think fam, that's one, might be a little corny, might be a little bit awesome, might be both. You tell me. Think fam or think squad. Because you know we've got the think pod, think squad on the think pod. You tell me. What do you like better? Think fam? Like family, you know, like like we're family, like we're brothers and sisters in Christ and we're thinking together, so think fam, or think squad. Think squad, watching the Think Pod. You tell me. Let me know in the comments. Um, oh, Noah says think tank. That's not a bad idea. Except that is what I called my in-person discussion groups that we had going on, which I mainly did prior to COVID, which we may end up uh, uh, getting back going. So, I think tank has already taken Noah, but I do I like the idea. Leslie Porter is watching. Leslie, hello. Thank you for watching. Glad you're with us. And anyone else who's watching, and I can't see you, um, I, I see that you're out there. I just don't know who you are. So drop us a comment. I'll give you a shout out if I can, if I have time, if I see you, if I want to, if I choose to. And um, we will uh, we will uh, get going with the content here. Noah says, "Think Fam" would be my pick. Cool. I like that. Think Fam. All right. Well, let me um, let me uh, uh, mull that over a little bit. But keep those. Suggestions coming in, Think Fam, or Think Squad. And today we're we're doing a couple of things. One, I do want to do an AMA at the end, or an Ask Me Anything, a and A Q&A at the end. But I also want to cover a pretty important subject, and that is this: What is the goal of apologetics? Several weeks back. I believe it was in March, we talked about what is the motivation or what should be our motivation for apologetics. And we talked about the problems that you run into when fear is motivating your apologetics, fear of man, fear of failure, fear of looking like a dummy, okay, fear that we all face. And we talked about how what our motivation must be is the lordship of Jesus Christ. We talked about motivation. We've also talked extensively about goals, the goal of apologetics. No, no, I'm sorry, scratch that, reverse it. We've talked about the method of apologetics, the standard for apologetics, what biblical apologetics looks like. And we've done that quite extensively because we've talked about the method that I endorse, which is presuppositional biblical apologetics, presuppositionalism, or a hashtag, that presup. you already knew I was going to say it, is what I believe is the most biblical method for defending the Christian message. And when we're talking about apologetics, that's what we're talking about. So let me define apologetics for us real quick. Sometimes I use different definitions depending on what I'm going to be talking about, but apologetics is, is probably best defined as I use it in this way. Apologetics is the discipline of vindicating biblical truth against unbelieving thought. Or sometimes I'll add in, in a compelling way, sometimes I'll say, it's the joyful discipline of of, uh, defending the Christian message or vindicating it. And to be vindicated means to be proven to be right, to be proven to be right, to be proven to be correct. So let's go ahead and get into the goal of this discipline that we call apologetics. Also, real quick shout out, if you are watching on YouTube and you haven't subscribed to our channel yet, um, would you please do that? Because that way you won't miss a single minute of the content that we're putting out with the Think Institute, the Think Podcast, all of our shows, all the interviews that we're doing, uh, late night apologetics, after hours apologetics episodes like this. Um, And then make sure you hit that bell so you don't miss anything and you get alerted and all that wonderful, fun stuff. All right. So thank you. Check that out. And um, uh, before I get into the goal of apologetics, it looks like uh, Aaron Sai is saying Think Fam is his favorite. And Brian Zebarth says, well, he says that Brian from Denver is watching. What's up, Brian? Glad you guys are watching. Thanks. And Aaron is watching all the way from the Philippines, which is pretty cool. So, um, which, by the way, we've been doing really well on the Philippine charts. The, the the charts in the Philippines, the Apple podcast charts. So thank you to all of our Filipino listeners who are watching from the Philippines. I really appreciate you guys. And uh drop us a note, say hi sometime. And um you know I I have done uh a few um podcast episodes for shows that are either based in the Philippines or aimed at the Philippines. I did New and Living Way podcast which is technically based in the UAE but is Is geared towards Filipinos living in the Philippines. All right. So we talked about what apologetics is, but what should be the goal of apologetics? Well, it should come to you as no surprise that the goal of apologetics is threefold. As a matter of fact, as I was thinking about this episode, I was thinking apologetics accomplishes and how I talk about apologetics and how I think of myself as an apologist or as John Frame would say, an apologete, which is, as far as I can tell, the same thing. And I was thinking about how I talk about apologetics, and it really dawned on me, apologetics is threefold. And I say no surprise, because if you, if you follow my work at all, you may have heard me talk about John Frame's triperspectivalism, which is an approach to epistemology and really to all interaction with the world that is that uh that is done through three different perspectives. The normative perspective, which is the way things ought to be, the situational perspective, which is the way things are, and the existential perspective, which is the way that I um interact with or I feel about uh the way that I interact and experience um the, the world and what and what's around us. All right. So Oh, Ethan from Your Friendly Neighborhood Atheist is watching, or he is Your Friendly Neighborhood Atheist, and he says, so late. Yes, it's late. I thought all the atheists had gone to sleep, but apparently you're still awake. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Terrible joke. Excuse that joke. But uh, but no, I'm I'm glad you're watching, definitely. And Real Android is watching from Oregon. Awesome. Well, very cool. Well, look at this. Ethan was getting ready for bed and saw the notification. See that's what happens. Be warned because if you hit that bell, you will be updated when we go live, which if that's something that you want, which if you're watching this now you probably do, uh go ahead and hit that bell on YouTube. All right. So what what is this threefold goal of apologetics? Well, we've defined apologetics, we've talked about the motivation of apologetics, but the 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 um connecting point between our motivation and our method really is the goal what motivates us is what gets us out of bed um if 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 Christ's lordship is motivating us then we're going to want to do everything we can to promote that lordship to honor that lordship and if our method is presuppositional because that's what the Bible teaches then um we're going to want to defend Christ's lordship in a way that is presuppositional, but what is the outcome, the desired outcome that we want? What is the goal? What What is our mission? What are we trying to accomplish? And as I said, I believe that that is threefold. Um, and, and so here's what it is. And just like I mentioned the three perspectives of John Frame, where there's a normative perspective, a situational perspective, and an existential perspective, I believe the threefold goal of apologetics works the same way. So first of all, the normative perspective. This is dealing with truth, what must be defended, and that's this. Our uh, The first goal of apologetics, and I'm going to put it on the screen here, the first goal, goal number one, is indicating the absolute truth of the gospel and the Christian worldview. That's goal number one. I'm going to backtrack and and cover these in more depth. But goal number two is this. Goal number two is silencing our opponents with the hope of helping them understand the gospel. Silencing our opponents, or another way to put that, is putting them to shame. Now, this is the one of the three goals that is going to sound the most, quote unquote, unchristian depending on where you're watching this or where you found out about this, I promoted this video with the teaser that one of the goals was going to sound unchristian. And this is the one. I'll explain why that is and why that isn't in just a minute. All right. So that's goal number two. That's our situational perspective. And then goal number three, this is our existential perspective. This is for believers. This is uh, not only for other believers, but for ourselves. And that is this, encouraging believers. Encouraging believers. So goal number one, vindicating the absolute truth of the gospel in the Christian worldview. Goal number two, silencing our opponents. And goal number three, encouraging believers. Encouraging believers. All right. Uh, Facebook user says, what a tease. I don't know what that is referring to, and I don't know who you are. But if you want me to know who you are, you can go to streamyard.com/facebook and enter your permissions there, and then Facebook will recognize who you are, and um, or I guess Streamyard will recognize who you are, and then will allow you to comment, uh, so I'll know who's who's saying these things to me, which would be nice. All right, now let's go back and let's unpack. Now at this point, maybe you're checking out because you're like, "Oh, I got my three things. I got the goal." Um, not so fast because these, all three of these are going to need some unpacking and some explanation. And I'm not going to take a long time with this, at least for me, I'm not going to take a long time. This isn't going to be a five minute video. I mean, we've already gone 13 minutes and 47 seconds, but, um, I am going to go fast for me because we all have to get to bed and this shouldn't take long because the Bible is very clear about these things. So. Goal number one, vindicating the absolute truth, the Christian message, and, uh, and the gospel. Now, why is that the thing? Here's why. Because in Scripture, in the charter verse of apologetics, which is First Peter, what does it say? It says that we are to always be prepared to give a reason for our hope, for our hope, to give a reason for our hope to anyone who asks us. All right. Now, fine, Peter. Paul, other apostles, what is our hope? Is our hope in the reality that Jesus may have risen from the dead or or that the preponderance of the evidence that is available to us points towards the most likely conclusion being the existence of a God? And that's sort of pretty close to how some Christian apologists who are out there, more on the evidentialist side, or classicalist side, no, not throwing shade at them, but is that our hope? Is our hope in a probability? Well, according to Colossians one twenty-seven, it says that Christ in us is our hope. It says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then, so I guess the, the question then is, is that hope that we have, is that absolute? Or is it pie in the sky, by and by? Is it something that we just sort of hope against hope or as sometimes skeptics or atheists will accuse us of believing, are we believing against the evidence or do we have an absolute um, certainty? Even if we sometimes go through a dark night of the soul, even if we sometimes feel doubt, the question is, is the one in whom our hope is certain or uncertain, probable or absolute, definite or maybe? According to John 14, 6, Jesus is the truth. That's what he claimed about himself. And that goes into if if you don't believe him, then you're stuck in the liar, lunatic, lord, legend um uh, paradox or paradigm, um, conundrum, quadrilemma, if you will. And um, but if you're a Bible-believing Christian, Jesus is the truth. Christ in us is our hope, and we're supposed to give a reason for our hope. So when we put all this together, we see we are not dealing with probabilities. We are dealing with certainties. We're dealing with absolute truth. Jesus Christ really is Lord. He really is God. And so the, 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 the truth that we are trying to defend is absolute. It's absolutely true. All right. We go. I had to redo one of these banners, uh, but moving right along. So let me know your thoughts on that. Let me know your um, if you have any comments or questions about that. Let me know. I do want to get to some questions at the end. So far, I, I have not had any come in yet, so that's fine. Maybe I'll get to bed at a decent hour tonight. Probably not going to happen. If you know me, I like to stay up late. But we're not dealing with probabilities, but with certainties. Now, think about how the apostles described the gospel did they describe it as a probability? Did they describe it as the preponderance of the evidence pointing to the best, most likely conclusion being that Jesus Christ rose from the dead or that God is probably, uh, that that a God probably exists? I don't think so. That is not what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. Let me just read this to you. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. 1 Corinthians 15. What is How does Paul describe the content of what we're trying to defend? Here's what he says in verse starting in verse 1 now i want to make clear for you brothers and sisters the gospel i preached to you which you received on which you have taken your stand and by which you are being saved if you hold to the message i preached to you unless you believed in vain in other words that that unless you believed in vain is a hypothetical at the end there unless you b- believed in vain of course you didn't believe in vain and if you're holding to the message that I preach to you, the gospel—not a false gospel, not a probable gospel, but the gospel of Jesus Christ—then you are being saved, and that is the the rock upon which you have taken your stand. Is does that sound uncertain to you? Yeah, I don't think so. What about Second Peter one sixteen? Peter one sixteen says this. My wife just brought this uh, verse to me the other day um uh coming out of one of her Bible studies see before I read this here's here's why my wife my wife mentioned this with the kids you know we're homeschooling and we just got done reading the uh, studying the odyssey with the kids you know Odysseus and um uh Athena and um uh uh what's her name Penelope telemachus all that all that stuff, the Cyclops. And th- there, at the time of the greco-Roman world, in in that milieu into which Peter is writing, there were many live many pagans who believed that the world was governed by these capricious gods. And they believed these gods were real because, homer and others had written the odyssey and the iliad and these other epic poems describing these natural phenomena in terms of the divine so you know that lightning bolt came from zeus you know the storm came from poseidon that sort of thing and and what Peter's doing here is he's anticipating an objection that Christians are going to get down through the millennia, the centuries and the millennia, that Christianity is based on cleverly devised myths like the pagan worldviews are, or I would say like atheistic neo-Darwinian evolutionism is. It's a cleverly devised myth. It's not based in, in historical fact. It's not based in scientific inquiry. It's a myth. And, and, um, uh, yes, I said that. Um, and I think it's true. But here's what the Apostle Peter says in 2 Timothy 1.16. Let's see what it says. Is that what I just said? 2 Peter one sixteen. Here's what it says. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty there is no shred of of um uncertainty in peter's mind here he's telling you what he what is his eyes have seen what he himself has has witnessed and experienced and he expressly says we did not follow cleverly devised myths okay we, we are he is not interested in defending a worldview based on a myth And sometimes people say, well, you know, but isn't Christianity based on faith? And faith necessarily goes against the evidence, right? Isn't that what faith is? Well, not according to Scripture. Hebrews 11.1 says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Remember what our hope is. Christ in us, the hope of glory, the hope of things to come. A better life in eternity in the new age with Christ. And, and Christ is even in us now by his Holy Spirit. So faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I wonder, does your apologetic exemplify conviction and certainty and assurance? Because this is what faith is supposed to produce. This is what faith is characterized by. Faith is trust in the certainty of of the gospel message. Now we don't see Jesus face to face. In that sense, it's it's faith, it's not sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. But we don't walk by blind faith, leaping into the dark, into the unknown. My pastor Joe Thorne, this past Sunday talked about that. How faith is not a leap into the dark, into the darkness, the darkness of the unknown. Okay, faith in Christ's future promises are based in the certainty of who Christ is is what he's done in the past and what's been recorded in his word about which we ought to be and and should be and are, on our best days, certain. But at the very least, even if we don't feel certain, we can be certain of it. All right. Let's see. Uh, Let me go to one more verse on this because I really want to drive this home. That is John 1, And actually, let's go to John 1, 1 through 3, all right? No, 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 I take that back. Not John 1, 1 John 1, 1 through 3. Here's what it says. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes. Is this sounding familiar? Is this sounding like Peter? What we have observed and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That life was revealed. Pause right there. Revealed meaning revealed from God. That's what, Think about the word revelation. God has revealed it. God has unveiled it. God has made it known. It was cleverly devised. It was revealed by God. Okay. And we have seen it and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. When we have seen and heard. We also declare to you. Hey John, you sound pretty certain about this. Yes, exactly. I am certain. There is no, um, uh, John might say there is no uncertainty here in uh, in John in what John is saying. All right, let me give you let me give you one more. Are you getting sick of this? Are you are but are you realizing that the Bible is not calling us to defend the preponderance of the evidence pointing to the most probable conclusion being the existence. The biblical worldview that we believe is to be defended with the conviction of someone who knows the truth, who has been transformed by the truth, who literally knows the truth because we know Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Christ indwells us, and we know Jesus. Jesus is my best friend. Jesus is my Lord. He's my King. He's my God. He's my Savior. I know Him, and I want to defend that knowledge with the certainty of someone who knows him, and just like I know my wife, if you told me my wife Elisa did not exist, I'd laugh in your face. I'd ask, you know, uh, how much sleep you've been getting? You like what, what have you been smoking? Of course, I know my wife; she's real. I don't doubt that. That's how we're supposed. That's the same kind of conviction we should be defending the gospel and the biblical worldview with. All right, uh, now, Jude one, three. This is the last one on this particular goal. Says this, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. What are we defending? Are we defending a body of propositions that is derived from our faith? In other words, because the Bible is true, here's the thing because the Bible is true, evidence is possible. In other words, evidence is a meaningful concept. I had somebody asking me on Discord about that earlier today. If you're watching now, drop a comment, and I'll I'll answer this in more detail if you want. I don't remember your name, sorry. Because the Bible and the biblical worldview are true, evidence is a meaningful concept. So, logical inference is a thing. Reasoning to the best conclusion is is a thing. Inductive reasoning is a thing. What that means is, within the biblical worldview, standing on the basis of God's word, we have every reason to get evidence and to show how it's reliable. But we're notice we're already standing on the Bible in order to do that because we believe God is the one holding all of that together, the uniformity in nature, the um the law's ability of inductive reasoning. And so because we've started from that presupposition, a biblical presupposition, now we're able to do uh, investigation, scientific inquiry, examine the evidence. And it does corroborate what the Bible teaches. But that's very different from purporting to start from a neutral standpoint and saying, let's examine the evidence neutrally as if we could reason autonomously or at least as if our unbelieving opponent or discussion partner could anonymously and come to the proper conclusion apart from a being regenerate b because we don't just want them to believe propositions we want them to know jesus and that requires a gift of faith from the holy spirit god's grace through faith um or um that they could that they could, uh, you know, reason autonomously. Well, I forget my second thing I was going to say there, but but hopefully you get it. Um, we are contending for the faith, not a series of propositions derived from the faith that end up actually diminishing our certainty about the faith. You know, there is good evidence for the resurrection. Yes, that's true, but that's not what we're ultimately trying to defend. And if, and if you're an apologist and you think I'm pointing you out right now, and this isn't what you do, then I'm absolutely not pointing you out. I'm not calling you out or anything like that. That's not my goal. My goal is to strengthen your and all Christians resolve here that we want to make it our goal to defend the absolute certainty, absolute truth of the biblical worldview and the gospel. All right. Um, We do have a couple questions that have come in. I'm going to breeze through these next two, um, and then I will answer the questions at the end. All right, so um, let's keep going here. And if if you do have a response or a question or a comment, go ahead and leave it in the comments, and I'll answer your comments, questions, concerns, etc. All right, where were we? Goal number two. So goal number one, what is it? Vindicating the absolute truth of the gospel in the Christian worldview. Goal number two silencing our opponents with the hope of helping them understand the gospel. Now, if I wanted to make this more controversial, I wouldn't have put that second part in. I would have let that, that first part hang there with a pregnant pause and, uh, you know, make people say, what? Silencing them, but that's just, you're just trying to win the argument. That's not real apologetics. Well, listen, I put the second part in there because I wanted to anticipate that that objection and, uh you know, the, the title of this was clickbaity enough. I didn't want to incorporate any more uh, sensationalism in this. Okay. Um, we want to silence our opponents. Yes. We even want to shame them. We want to put them to shame, but it's it's all for a very specific goal. We are defending our Lord Jesus Christ. This is not about us. Do you know that? Your apologetic is not about you. I know you know that. At least you should. It's about Jesus. It's about Christ. It's been said that any good dog would bark when his master is attacked. How much more should we bark when our master is attacked? We're defending and vindicating biblical truth, the truth of the gospel. and I can prove that this is biblical. OK. Look with me at First Peter 3:16B. 1 Peter, well, that just means the second part of the verse, okay? 1 Peter 3, 16b, here's what it says. 1 Peter 3, 16b. So that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. This is following immediately on the heels of Peter saying, Always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you about the hope that is within you, but do this with gentleness and reverence or respect so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. The way you give your apologetic, the way you present your defense of the certainty of the gospel and biblical truth ought to your opponents. For two reasons. One, because your arguments are irrefutable. I'll point out why that is in just a minute. But also because you're doing it with so much stinking respect and reverence and gentleness. You're not being a jerk about it. Now, you might get called a jerk, but don't be a jerk. Sometimes people don't like your arguments because you've got certainty and they think that that's arrogance. Certainty is not the same as arrogance. You know that. I know that. God knows that. But they might call you arrogant anyway that's okay don't give in and be what they are accusing you of even if you get provoked you hear what i'm saying and i'm speaking to myself here believe me but let's talk about um let let let's talk about how this works all right how do we shame and silence our opponents and 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 why is that actually a biblical goal because doesn't that kind of sound unchristian kind of sounds unkind well if it's unchristian then jesus is unchristian okay perish the thought it's not unchristian luke 25 15 records these words from jesus the lord jesus okay for i will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict withstand or contradict that Doesn't that sound baller? Doesn't that sound amazing? That just sounds like an incredible apologetic, an irrefutable apologetic, one that puts your opponents to shame. They can't withstand it, let alone contradict it, let alone refute it. They can't even withstand it. Isn't that amazing? I love that. Um, next, 2 Corinthians 10.5. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion. Do you know the Bible says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble? There are these lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God and take and we demolish them. We destroy them, not on our own strength. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshly we don't beat people into intimidation i once saw a tweet recently from some atheist who said christianity was spread not by the 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 quantity the quality of its truth but by the quantity of its violence what i think you must have is confused for a different religion christianity moves forward through evangelism preaching. Uh, How will they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? Romans 10. Um, We destroy arguments, but we do not destroy people. I'm going to get to more of that in just a minute. Um, In fact, let's get there now. Because if you think that this sounds unchristian, if this sounds um, cruel or or somehow dehumanizing to to our opponents, and I know you, seeing the questions come in, hang tight, hang tight. I'm going to get there just a second. Listen to what um, 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25 says. First of all, we're defending our Lord Christ. This isn't about us. And if it's about you, knock it off. If I'm making it about me, I need to knock it off. We're not in this for our egos. Our egos are big enough. We have enough pride. We're supposed to be killing our pride, not feeding it through apologetics. So if that's what you're using your apologetics for, man, woman, (laughs) knock it off. Repent. Submit that to Jesus Christ. he'll he'll forgive you for it and redeem you and and give you um, grace. There's plenty of grace. Don't get me wrong. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to be operating with fear and reverence. So that's why I say that. All right. Now, 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25 says this, the Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone, able to teach and patient. Now, here's Doesn't this sound like apologetics? Done right. Instructing his opponents with gentleness. Perhaps God will grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. Perhaps God will grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. That is what we want we're silencing them but not to destroy them. We want to see them restored, reborn, born again, given new life, regenerated, justified, glorified, sanctified. All the gifts that God has given us, we want to see those gifts being given to them as well. We want the Lord to regenerate them. All right. So so yes, we're shaming them for um we're shaming them for accusing us of being all these things that were not bigoted, anti-science, anti-woman, anti-human, uh, anti-common sense. <laughs> you know, in the old days, in the Roman world, they called Christians cannibals and incestuous. I won't get into that. Is it wasn't true. Today they call us all kinds of other names. We're vindicating the absolute truth of Christianity, but we're also vindicating uh, Christianity as a as a practice here, and that coupled with fear and reverence gentleness and respect is going to shame our opponents in a good way because it is a mercy from God when someone when we as human beings are shamed because of our sin and opposition to God and his truth is sin so that God can lead us to repentance. Um, godly grief produces repentance it leads to repentance. That's what the Bible teaches. All right now finally, goal number three and let me just go ahead I'm gonna pause here because I got a couple of questions all right uh let's see Noah Dispain says I that he didn't know I went to Joe Thorne's church yes we did actually um we we do go to Joe Thorne's church um although he would tell you and I would probably tell you as well that it's actually the the Lord's Church, the Lord Jesus Christ Church but yes of course he's the lead pastor and um, if you don't know who Joe Thorne is he's got the wonderful doctrine and devotion podcast that he does with Jimmy Fowler um, Pastor Jimmy and uh, we've been going there for for a while now since about November but I, I've known Joe for a number of years and um, he's uh I, I don't I don't have too many guys in my life that I can call a mentor. He's on that list, though. So, um, there you go. Uh, yes, I do. My family does. We love it, by the way. If you're in the area—St. Charles, Geneva, Batavia, North Aurora, um, Western Chicago suburbs, South Elgin—you should come. Um, hit, reach out to me, and and we'll meet up sometime. Uh, and yes, um, well, never mind. We we do hang out uh, afterwards. It's fun. Okay. Next question is: Noah de Spain is asking, "Why are you still a New Covenant guy?" And he says, um, oh, wait, no, let's see. He says, why why are you still a New Covenant guy? And for those who don't know, maybe you can explain what that is. Okay, Uh, New Covenant theology is a system for fitting the whole Bible together. And in midpoint between dispensationalism and covenantal theology, there's different kinds of covenantal theology. There's 1689 London Baptist confessionalism or uh, what we call um, federalism, 1689 federalism. And then there's of course like Westminster Presbyterianism and there's other forms as well. Then there's um, new covenant theology, which is sort of divided up into progressive covenantalism and, uh, and traditional new covenant theology. If we can even call it that, if it's been around long enough, Um, I think it's been around as long as scripture. And then, You've got uh, dispensationalism and progressive dispensationalism on the other end of the spectrum. Here's why I'm a new covenant guy: uh, because the Bible hasn't changed in, uh, since the closing of the canon. And I was actually talking with my wife because the church that we attend is Reformed Baptist, and I'm like there on ninety nine percent of of the you know the 1689 London Baptist Confession. I'm pretty much hundred percent of the way there. With the 1646 First London Baptist Confession, which I have a copy of on my um, on my wall here, uh, uh, updated by David Winkle, based in the north suburbs of Chicago. Um, But I am, I'm, I'm just not. I'm not there. I'm not there on the Decalogue still being binding on Christians. Um, I'm not there on the Sabbath being the day being Sunday um i'm 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 just i'm not there uh obviously i'm a baptist so reformed baptists are you know i mean i agree with the the baptistic element of you know how the ordinances are um you know the ordinances are for believers but um pr- for me it really boils down to the view of the um the law the mosaic law which i believe has been retired and fulfilled in christ not fired moses wasn't fired he was retired and i got that from paul kaiser who taught me uh new covenant theology largely among others um but then um also uh covenantal theology by my lights tries to cram too much too too many concepts that are at best implied and at worst um just unbiblical absent from scripture and and really makes them a little too central to the theology i know we all have our systems we all have terms Look, the word trinity is not in the bible i get that so there are some doctrines that are implied many doctrines that are implied in scripture that aren't explicit but my main issue with 1689 federalism is that it takes a lot of the westminster which i thought of unbiblical stuff and tries to tries to baptize it for you know gives it a believer's baptism uh but uh, they should have left some of that baby out, out with the bath water, I think. Um, they're just trying to bring in a little too much. Does that mean I can't go to the church? No, I I actually, uh, we're on enough of the same page that I'm pursuing membership right now at the church. Um, so, we're actually really, really looking forward to that. Um, we can co labor together, we get along great. Um, it makes for some really fun theological discussions. Joe introduced me to his friends, some of the other pastors there, six years ago. As a new covenant heretic. So that was fun. It's a lot of fun. And some people say I'm a, I'm a loud NCT, or maybe I am, but when people ask me, I, I want to explain. So um, yeah, it's basically because I think NCT is the most biblical. Um, so yes. And uh, Aaron Sai says, I'm NCT, and that's interesting. Yes, uh, I think it's interesting too. Noah Despain says, sorry, I know that wasn't apologetics related, but he thought he'd ask. Ask. Yeah, that's true. Um, All right. Uh, Noah says 1644. Um, Are you referring to the first London Baptist Confession of Faith? Because if so, the first draft was 1644, but it was revised in 1646. So it's often referred to as the 1646. I think that that's probably just Baptists trolling uh, Westminster guys whose confession was also um, written in 1646. And um, hardcore 1689ers will say that there's there's no theological differences between those two confessions, the first and second London Baptist confessions. But even if that's true, the the first one, um, either the language or the intent, or if you just read it at face value, um, I don't think you need to interpret it through the 1689 like to fully understand it. I think it stands on its own merits and. um, And I like it. I I agree with it. All right. Uh, Do we have any more questions here before I get to the third goal of apologetics? Let's see. All right. Gavin Hill, thanks for your contribution here, Gavin. Gavin says, Romans 3.19, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Yes. Okay. Good. So, um so those those who are so if we're talking law of Moses, then they're uh Romans one through three really is really aimed at first the Gentiles, then the Jews. The 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 Gentiles have the works of the law written on their heart, not the law, but the works of the law written on their heart. They have a conscience. The Jews have the law of Moses, and every mouth is stopped. There is there's no one who could I didn't know, why didn't you give me more evidence? Now, they might not have heard the gospel, that's going to be true in many cases, but there's more than enough evidence, proof even, of God's eternal power and divine nature. And when we are defending the God in whom we believe, the Christ in whom we have put our faith we need to do that with a level of certainty that that corresponds to the level of of truthfulness of the message. And so i i do believe um uh, Gavin, i think that's maybe what you were getting at. Yeah, you say um that this is Paul silencing people. All right, good. Yeah, there you go. Um he does that again in Romans 9, doesn't he? When he says, who are you, oh man, to answer back to God? John Frame describes that as the i think he calls it the shut up defense as in shut up, he explained. I love that. All right. Aaron Sye says he leans towards the 16, 18, 1689 federalism, but love NCT peeps. I have good NCT peeps here in the Philippines. Very cool. Very cool, Aaron. That's awesome. Well, I, I am the exact, uh, the exact reverse of that. I lean NCT. In fact, I am NCT, but I've got a lot of great 1689 peeps out here. So that's cool. All right, let's get to goal number three. Enough jibber-jabber. Goal number three of apologetics is strengthening believers. Strengthening believers. Now, where do we get this one from? Encouraging believers. I thought apologetics was to convince non-Christians. Well, notice I didn't even include that in the list because we've got vindicating the absolute truth. Yes, that just means showing that it's true. We've got Silencing unbelievers or 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 shaming unbelievers—that's not the same as convincing them, is it? Because only the Lord, only the Holy Spirit, can regenerate a person. As R.C. Sproul famously said, "Regeneration precedes faith." Now, what that in, in other words, um, John MacArthur talks about in in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, how grammatically what's. What's a gift to us is not just the grace, but the faith, the, the grace through faith that saves us. It's all a gift. And so when we're engaging in apologetics, yes, our goal is evangelism. Yes, our goal is salvation. Yes, our goal is silencing the unbeliever so that we can get back to the gospel, clearing away objections. Sometimes um, apologetics is talking about clearing, uh, is described as like, like clearing the field so that you can sow the seed. You know, I'm taking the rocks out of the field. I'm fine with that. But remember, we plant another waters, one plants, one waters, but God brings the increase. So we're not in this to convince. You get what I'm saying? We're not in this to regenerate or convert. Only God can do that. We vindicate, we silence, we evangelize. And then here we go, we strength in believers, is a crucial and very vital and and really just enjoyable aspect of apologetics. I have an apologist friend who is just an absolute master with the arguments, but doesn't have fun with apologetics. Let me tell you this: this. Uh, apologetics can be very draining, very draining, especially when you're getting into these really heated discussions where, where there's just ranting and raving some, um, some internet atheist who, or, or, um, internet, you know, someone who holds to a different religion, whether they're Muslim, uh, Mormon, but really for me, it's been primarily with atheists. And this is not, I'm not throwing all atheists under the bus here. Okay. I wish they would all repent and trust in Christ, of course, but I'm not saying all atheists are like this. Ethan, if you're still watching, I do not put you in this category. Although I do think, you know, well, you and I have talked enough, you know how I feel about you and and what I would love to see you do, which is repent and trust in Christ. But, um, but some, man, some of these atheists that I interact with are just so hard headed, so hard hearted. It can be so exhausting. So why do I engage with those atheists? Why do I engage in apologetics in general? Um, the first two reasons I told you, but the, the third one is that it does have a strengthening effect on believers. It has an encouraging effect on believers. And and you know who did this really, really well is a Jewish guy named Apollos. Apollos in Acts chapter 18, verses 24 through 28 is described in this way. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a name native Alexandrian, an eloquent man who was competent in the use of the scriptures, arrived in Ephesus. And then it continues. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit—there we go—he was speaking and teaching accurately about Jesus, although he knew only John's baptism and And it continues, and what it says is he began to go into the synagogues and speak boldly, and he was um although he didn't have the whole picture, which actually this ought to give us a lot of hope as um apologists, he knew enough to prove that Jesus is the Messiah, and he did this through the um through use the use of the scriptures in the synagogues and um Let's see. Oh, here we go. Okay. And he vigorously refuted the the Jews in public demonstrating through the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. Okay, there we go. So what was the result of Apollos and his, his powerful apologetic? He was a great help to those who by grace had believed. By grace, you have been saved through faith. By grace, they had believed. Do you see how the faith is a gift? And although faith is a gift, it's not merely passive or passively received. Apologetics, excuse me, can greatly encourage the faith of of believers. All right, my voice is telling me that um, it's time to wrap up. So what have we covered so far? We looked at the three goals of apologetics. And we said that goal one is vindicating the absolute truth of the gospel and the Christian worldview. Goal two, silencing our opponents. And goal three, strengthening believers. Okay. So I hope this is helpful. When you're engaging in apologetics, what I would invite you to do, what I would encourage you to really think about is which one of these goals, if not all three are you pursuing at any given time? And it's going to, there's going to be overlap. We're going to be incurring uh, believers while we're silencing opponents. We're going to be vindicating the absolute truth while we're silencing opponents, et cetera, et cetera. But if your goal is simply to win an argument or God forbid to destroy the other person, uh, I'm not going to say stop engaging in apologetics because Peter tells every believer to engage in apologetics in 1 Peter 3. So I'm not going to give you unbiblical advice. Instead, I'm going to say you you may need to consider searching your heart, asking the Lord to search your heart, repenting, and um committing to a, a more biblical Christ-honoring method. Okay. That is all I have for you today. Thank you guys for watching. This went, of course, way longer than um, I expected it too. But, um, I should have expected that. If you have any questions or queries, you can, um, which I guess is a question, come to think of it, you can send them to thethinkinstitute@gmail.com. at gmail.com. And let me also say that if you want to support the Think Podcast, the Think Institute Network, the Think Institute, and the family of yours truly, including Elisa and me, would you please go to give.crew.org slash 1018841 You can give a $25 gift. Um, You can give a $5 gift. You can give a $5 a month gift. You can give $100 a month gift. Whatever you prayerfully, thoughtfully feel led and motivated to do, please give to your local church first and then consider partnering with us because that's how we keep food on the table and um, that's how I'm able to do All of this. I've got my lights here. I've got my microphone. I've got this studio set up. I've got my books. And I'm here to equip you, to equip the follower of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're not yet a believer in Jesus Christ, what I would like to encourage and even challenge you to do is this go search the scriptures, go read the Gospels, go read the Gospel of John and pray to God that you claim that you say you don't believe in. Pray to Him ask him to reveal himself to you but know this he has revealed himself to you he is revealing himself to you everything good that you've had in your life has been a gift from him and everything bad well god has a good reason for it and if you're one of his chosen people he will work that out for good for those who love god in other words if you love god god works all things together for your good and for the for the good of those who love god and are called according to his purpose all right. Um, I guess that's about all we have for you today. Um, subscribe if you haven't done so. Hit that bell. Like us on on uh, Facebook, and don't forget you can follow us on Gab, Mewe, Facebook, Twitter. Someone said that they found us on Instagram recently. Although I got to admit I haven't done much with Instagram, but I do have an Instagram account called The Book Register, where I post beautiful pictures of my wonderful books in my lovely studio here. Uh, study here and um you might want to follow that the book register um you can all read my mini um my mini book reviews at the think institute slash what is it books book dash register but if you tool around on the um if you search around on the um uh, the think institute website you'll you'll find that okay we had one more question first of all guys have a good day or night Joel thanks it's night sometimes it feels like day because I'm going hard and going long. Um, but thank you. Same to you, Gavin. Noah Despain says, When's the merch coming? You know what? If uh, i tell you what, man, you email me. I have a shirt with your name on it. Just email me what size. I have shirts and I do sell them. They're these beautiful, maybe you've seen me wear one, but it's this beautiful black and gray Think Institute shirt. Very cool, very stylish, not gaudy. Um, and if you email me, um, uh, email me your size i don't know how much we i don't know what we charge for them. 15 bucks maybe something like that just email me um and if you're going to be at the fight laugh feast rally in south dakota i'm pretty sure i'm going to be there i haven't formalized that yet which is why i haven't really announced it yet but that's coming up later this month we'll probably be selling t-shirts there um as for other merch i do need to come up with some merch don't i i really do thanks for the reminder. Um, Gavin Hill says, go read the gospel of John. That's where I send people to first. Also good. Awesome. Love it. Gavin Hill says link FB and Instagram on FB creators tools, and it will post to both. Listen, I don't even know what that just, what, what you just said, link them both on FB creators tools. Now on my page on Facebook, I think I have links to those accounts. I, you know what? Well, I'm doing this through Streamyard. Oh, you're telling me how I can link to Instagram. Interesting. Gavin, I'm gonna have to talk to you about that. I don't know how to do that. I know how to do a lot of things, but I don't know how to do everything. And um, I've actually been looking into um help with that, but I don't think I'm gonna get it. I think I'm gonna end up doing it myself and then have help in other areas like video editing. All right. That about wraps it up. Gavin, thanks for the advice. Thank you everybody for watching. Noah aaron ethan who else real android everybody else did i miss anybody brian leslie thank you guys for watching um there are others who have been watching but just uh, haven't commented thank you for watching thank you for listening remember this is not goodbye this has just been a little pit stop along the way of your spiritual journey until next time i hope it made you think